Hello and happy Friday, everyone. I can tell you guys that it is a great day and a very happy Friday for me because I am leaving the freezing cold of Utah and heading to the beach for the week, so can't complain. I just needed to get out because as much as I love Utah and as beautiful it is as it is, I do not do well in the cold months and... I need an escape for my sanity, basically. So long story short, I am super excited to spend a week in warm weather and cannot wait for that. And I also cannot wait for you guys to listen to this episode. I had recorded the initial episode actually almost about a year ago now, so it's been a long time. It is with Hayden and Jake Wadsworth of Hydrojug. And if you haven't checked out their initial interview that I did with them last January... Go check it out. It is episode 56 of Freedom to Fail, and they are absolutely crushing it. This is the year one episode that I did with them, so talking about how they would start their business again based on what they have learned along the way. And it's kind of crazy to see the amount of success that they've had since then, and they were already having a ton of success when I interviewed them. I think in this interview, I referenced the fact that they had 330,000 followers on Instagram, And I just checked, and they have about 490,000 right now. And we all know that followers don't mean everything when it comes to a business, but it does mean that eyeballs are coming across your business a lot more, and it increases your chance of success. So they are doing super, super well. And I can honestly say I love my hydro jug that they gave me. So you should definitely go check them out. And also check out this week's episode of Year One. Don't take the easy road. There's no such thing as shortcuts. There's no such thing as like quick money. You, you have to be willing to, to just work. You're going to work way more. Like if you think like, oh yeah, I'm going to start my own thing so I don't have to put in as many hours or I don't have to work as hard or whatever, like you're sadly mistaken. You're going to be the one that's doing the work. It's up to you. No one else is going to do it for you. My name is Kyle and you are listening to a special episode of Freedom to Fail that I call Year One. These entrepreneurs are kind enough to share exactly what they would do if they were starting their business today with the knowledge they have learned along the way. This includes specific actions of everything from testing and launching your product to marketing it and having customers come back for more. I want to pull back the curtains on how a successful business is started so that you can do it too, regardless of your personal background or current finances. Because if owning a successful business is your dream, like it is for me, then I want to give you all the tools necessary to make it happen. So let's get started. Now I want to jump into the more practical side for the business owners out there. So the year one, what you guys would do if you were to restart from scratch, basically. So the first part is obviously pre-launch. So just like the designing of the product, like how did you come up with the idea of it? I guess not how did you come up with it, but how would you come up with a product idea and find something that you think is valuable? testing it, making sure that it's a valid idea, and then just like figuring out how to get it manufactured and stuff. Yeah. um, So for me, I I think the biggest thing and like we kind of mentioned is if you if you have if you have an idea of something that already has a proof of concept, you're not going to have to do a ton of like market research and like all all these other things. Um, So find something that has the proof of concept. And, and if I, if I could go back and do things different, I think the, the main thing that I would have done is had someone that had done it. So whether that's like a board member or like a consulting group or like whatever that is, like get someone in there that has done like product before, that would have been our biggest help. 
you know, so I, I think I, I would have done that different in the beginning. So when you get that person in who has that guidance for you, what are, I guess, let's say that you are that person now in this scenario. You're that person who someone brings on to help you. What would you say would be like the launch sequence, like the first steps that someone would have to take before they know that they are ready to start selling the product? Yeah, I mean, the first thing's kind of like industrial design and getting like a, getting someone that's really talented that can design the product and make it appealing. And then the next step is like the sourcing, manufacturing, tooling, all those types of things. I would get after that, I would probably get like a more graphic designer, like someone that's really trendy, that's going to help you with like colors and designs and, and, and stuff like that. Someone that's in touch with those things, place your first order. And then, I mean, they, they ship it and then you're off to the races. So <clears throat> what should someone look for when they're looking, when they're working with an industrial designer, someone who's helping with product? Like what are some of the types of qualifications that, they should look for versus just like an art student at the university who knew, who knows 3d design. I, I could just go off portfolios. So it's like, what have you done? You know? And like, um, if, if someone's designed a water bottle before and it's successful and you've seen it, like odds of them being successful for you are a lot higher. So, I mean, even if they're more expensive, like I, I place a lot of value on, on people's portfolios and what they have done. Yeah. I mean, I think that's great because you have to know that they can provide what you are actually seeking from it. So you get the product designed, you start sourcing manufacturers. Obviously, we talked about, oh, what was the, what was the place that you talked about earlier, the website? Uh, so I used Alibaba, but like you can use Panjiva. It's Panjiva. paid, like you have to pay for it, but you can find manufacturers through that as well. Okay. So when you're getting ready to do it, just go through Alibaba. That's actually how I did it too. Um, when I was yeah. trying to get mine designed and just find those manufacturers, reach out to them, get in touch with them. For an entrepreneur looking to start out, how much would you reasonably expect to spend for something like with your business uh, just pre-launch like how how big are the minimum order quantities um just stuff like that so that they can know what to look for when vetting a potential manufacturer since those vary a lot yeah it, it varies a ton like in different materials too so like silicone is going to be a lot higher than plastic like polypropylene so it, it really depends on, on like the industry but like, I, I mean, if you use a trade company, I think you can get as low as like 100, 500 units. If you're going direct with factory, you're going to be in like the 5,000, 10,000 units. Let's talk about pricing now, because I think that's a big, big thing, obviously. Like pricing is everything that we see on your website. We don't see the back end of how much it costs you guys. So how do you find what price you should be selling your product out? There's a, there's a function on Alibaba, like when you submit um, an RFQ, a pop, or it used to be like this, a pop-up would come up and say, hey, do you want to submit this to, there's like a thousand other suppliers that are similar. Do you want to submit this to them? You just click yes, and it sends it to all of them. And then you start getting quotes back, and you'll know very quickly what a fair price is. So I think just being able to to submit it to multiple manufacturers is key in pricing. So okay, that was that's very helpful. That honestly provides a lot. 
I was actually talking about like, how do you price it for the customer with it? Like, how do you know what your margins should be and how do you go about finding and establishing that set price? Yeah. Do you remember that? How we, how we did that? Yeah. I can't remember. It, I mean, we ours is like dartboard. We were just like, hey, there's nothing, there's nothing else, there's nothing else like this out there right now. Um, this is how much people are paying for shaker bottles. This is how much people are paying for the the jugs at the milk at the grocery store. What's reasonable for like people to pay for a water bottle? And we said, let's try this. And that's funny. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's how we did it. It's funny too, is because we would hear both in the beginning, you know, like a lot of people would be like, oh dude, it's, it's just a, it's just a water bottle. You guys are charging this much. Like I can just reuse my milk jug. And then there'd be like, people like, oh, like that's it. Like that's, that's all you guys are charging. So we like really heard, we heard from both on that for sure. And so, but yeah, I mean, just exactly how Hayden said it. Like we saw like, you know, what's out there, what's similar, you know, what do we think, you know, we can sell this for. And I think we just kind of went for it and we saw that like we had success like at that price point and that the margins worked for like what we were trying yeah. to do. Margins should definitely be a part of it. But I mean, you look at like Lululemon and then like some of the shoes that Nike sells and it's like, it, it can't just be based off margin because it's like, you should see like what the market demands, right? Like if you can sell a shoe for $200, don't just sell it for 80, you know, and and there are shoes out there that sell for 80. So it's like, what value do I bring? How much can I sell? Like, what's the breaking point on this? Like how much are people willing to to sell? And then I think the last check is like, does this work for our margins, right? Like, is this going to pan out? Because yeah, that's a huge piece of it. You have to make sure that you're going to be profitable. And the thing is, is like, we didn't know where our, what our business structure would be like. So like back in the day, like margins were a lot different than now. So that, that it plays a lot bigger role now than it did then. Yeah. I think you so keep that. In mind. Yeah. You'd want, I think, yeah, you're going to want to err on the, on the high side of margins for sure. Like yeah. just because like, as you grow, I mean, it's just with any business, like it definitely shrinks down. Like you're going to add more costs in obviously like, you know, you're going to be able, you're going to have like the economies of scale with you. So you might be able to save in certain areas, but you know, you're never going to have that margin of when you were shipping out of your parents' garage, like, like it's never going to get better than that. And so like, if you don't start at a high margin, you're going to be in trouble. But I remember too, like when we, when we were deciding pricing, you know, we we did keep like the customer in mind. Like, I think that decision was very customer based. Mm -hmm. It was like, what's fair, like what's fair to the customer and how are we determining what is fair? And and that's kind of what Hayden was talking about. It was like, okay, well, you know, they're willing to pay this from this other, you know, this similar product. Well, you know, here's the value that we bring, you know, what can we, what can we charge? And I think that's why we landed in a good spot is because when we were making that decision, it wasn't like, okay, well, if I sell it for this, this is what's going to come into my, my bank account. And that works for me. It's like, no, like, is this going to work for the customer? Are they going to buy this? Are they going to feel like they're getting value out of this at this price point? And I think that's, I think that's a really important question to ask. So a couple things that come to mind with that. First off, did you go about before you launched it, um, like collecting, just asking questions to potential consumers about what they would be willing to buy or, or like what they would be willing to spend? Or did you just kind of, go based on what the industry was telling you with your, some of your competitors. 
did we go out and sell them into the gyms first? Or was mm-hmm. it we started and then we kind of did that? Yeah, it was just industry. Yeah. Okay. So, and then the other question that I had is obviously margins, they are important, but not the most important thing. However, if you don't have the margins, then you're not going to be around very long. So what, for your industry, like what's a typical good margin that they should be looking to have? Like what kind of percentage gross margin? In in drinkware? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we keep an eye on that. So like any of the public companies, um, you, you have access to that and you can see about what they're doing. And, you know, I keep an eye on, on, on those guys and a lot of them fall in that 20 20% and you got to think those, those are mad. They're massive companies now. So that's kind of what I've seen. Yeah. I think I, I it's just, that's really difficult because like yeah. the just different scale, but like, like, for example, if you're going to go retail, they're going to want a hundred percent markup. So like, you're going to need to at least make money on that. Mm-hmm. So like, say you're selling your product for $50, the most, like the retail people are going to want to pay is 25 and if you're buying it for 24, then it's not a good business. Yeah. So yeah. you're, you, I, I would look at it like that. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's great. So that covers a lot of just like the pre launch stuff, making sure that you've got a good product, that you get the right pricing down. So let's talk about when you launch. What are, what would you do if you were to restart again to make sure that your launch, say like the first two to three months when you still have all of that new, new, I guess that new energy that people pick up, um, what would you do, do to make sure that your launch is successful? Yeah, for me, I would think like something that I didn't do a good job at was accurately keep accurate inventory levels. I just was not, I just was not good at it, how I was storing the product. And so like, you know, what was showing in Shopify maybe didn't necessarily show exactly what I had. And so like we would oversell or undersell. And so like be very accurate in, in how you're, how you're keeping your inventory. What about as far as just like promoting it and just getting the word out when you are first getting started? Yeah, I think, um, one of the things, so as far as like changing it, um, it'd have been nice to have more money to put into advertising, but we just didn't have it. So I don't know like how much we would change there. I would have probably, I, I think we should have started running ads on Facebook a lot earlier than we did. So our whole first year, we just did influencer marketing and it was 100% commission. So we didn't really have to have an advertising budget. Like it it worked really well and it got us a really good foundation to build upon before we started running ads because it's kind of like people think you can just get on and, and run ads and pay and buy customers, but you can't like you need that social proof of like, hey, this is like people are buying this. People like this. There's people standing behind it. And um so that's one thing I would do. I would have started, I would have started running um, paid advertising sooner, but not like I wouldn't have done it from the very like get go because I do think like you need reviews, you need influencers, you need people that you're doing like giveaways with and establishing that trust with like potential customers. So, so when you launched, you did it all just like affiliate base where they got like a cut of the sales that they drove in. Yep. So with that, what are some good, because I've heard of a lot of people doing stuff like that. How did you guys go about tracking that kind of stuff? Because obviously you want to make sure that the they are having a good experience and getting what's fair. And you want to make sure that you aren't having to pay out more than what they think they, or more than what you think that you should be paying them. 
Yeah, link, links and discount codes can track it. And there's like really affordable software that you can plug into Shopify that does all that. Yeah, that's good to know. So you get uh, you have the launch. The first three months, they're going pretty well. You guys are doing well there. After, let's say, the novelty wears off with it, where would you focus your marketing efforts? Like, Do you continue just focusing more and more on the influencer side and paid marketing? Or are there other channels that you've found that work really well for you to bring in new customers? Yeah, I mean, you, sh- you should do all the above. Like... Um... We've done podcasts. We've done like news articles. We've done. We we do Google, YouTube, like like everything. You 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 need to try everything, and then obviously allocate your budgets accordingly to like what's most effective. And but yeah, I mean we we we've we scaled into everything. I wouldn't say fast, but like over the course, of, like the first year was heavy just face or Pinterest actually, and then we got into Facebook. And now we're at the point where it's like we, we, we try to be on all those channels. So what have been, where have you seen the biggest ROI or just like the best success? Because obviously doing all of them when you can is great. But if you have a smaller budget, where have you seen the best results from? Fa- Facebook ads is the very best. Like, I mean, I've worked with people that like they spend a ton of money on Facebook ads and it just doesn't work. Like I said, I think it is, it's very like, it depends on your product strategy. So nothing to do with advertising. It's like, what is your product strategy, social proof, and and then ad spend. So it's like all of those things have to do with each other. It's, it, I don't, yeah. I think that's a really common mistake in, in e-commerce is like, hey, I, I have $100,000 I raised that I can just put behind Facebook ads and any business will work. But I think having like a really good ambassador an influencer program, having a really good product strategy. How do I create demand? How do I create like FOMO, stuff like that? And then putting paid spend on Facebook behind it is is the best way to go about it. Yeah, I think that's huge. And you definitely talk you definitely touch on a point that I feel like a lot of people struggle with is just they can throw money at their problems and the problems will go away. But that's not at all how it is. And you have to have that foundation and that baseline first. One thing that I wanted to ask you about was you talked about creating FOMO and creating that sense of urgency with the customers to get them to want to participate with your brand and to purchase your product. How do you guys go about doing that, getting them interested? Yeah, so we do a lot of, um, I think the biggest one is going to be like our limited edition stuff, you know, so we bring in a number that, you know, we're confident will, you know, sell out in this certain amount of time. We want it to last this long. We don't want it to last more, right? And so I think that's that's been a huge one for us is is the limited edition releases. That's that drives a ton of ton of urgency. Um, I was talking to Hayden about it today. Like, you know, we'll have people that will, you know, they'll check out with that sleeve and they'll have an order, and then you know they'll go back on the site, um, you know, a minute later and and continue to shop. You know, so it's really it's kind of a crazy thing. Like, there's a lot of urgency behind the limited edition. Hmm. Very interesting. So they want to make sure they check out first so that they can get it, but they're not done. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That actually brings me to my next question that I had is how do you go about getting past customers to buy again, especially with something that's not just a CPG where you just reuse it over and over? Because obviously I'm of the mindset where most people only really need like one water bottle, but 
it sounds like there you got people who are who are just jumping in and getting the limited edition stuff. So how do you get people in this kind of industry where it's not a reusable good to come back to you and buy more and also help just spread the word? It's product strategy. So like a hundred percent, like how do you create a product that is reusable? So like you said, like we dealt with that where it's like water bottles. I mean, what's reasonable to buy and some people buy a lot of them, which is great. But like we created an, an accessory that you can buy like an article of clothing and it's, it's acceptable and it's still respond. Like it's, a, it's socially acceptable to buy a lot of clothing and get new clothes. So that's, that's how we did it. I, I listened to a podcast on the guy that did audible and like they first started, they were selling like the piece of hardware. And then once you had the hardware, like that was it. And then it became a subscription and now it's something that's repeat. So there's, it's really just, it's product strategy. Like how, how do I make this something that people are going to pay for every month? With those customers, you guys, I was looking at your Instagram account. You guys have like 330,000 followers now. Um, obviously have built a lot of social proof there. How do you get your customers to engage with your brand and keep creating that user generated content? I think um, just from like the customer, we call it customer experience team is, you know, we offer, we, we try to have like a great experience, you know, and make them feel like you know, every, every person that buys is, is part of, is part of Hydrodrug, It's part of the team is part of the family. So I think creating that, that experience also makes them like, Hey, I, I, they feel that value and they want to be like a part of what we're doing. So what, what exactly do you do to, to incorporate them with your brand? Yeah. So I, one thing we did for a long time is we would, we would repost a lot of people. So like if they were in our stories, so like if they were, if they were tagging Hydrodrug, they were going to be like, you know, they'd be seen on there. So it's like, we're engaging with those people. You know, if they comment, they ask questions on, on social media, like we get to them, we answer all of those with our, with our customer experience team. So like we're talking with them all the time. And Hayden said too, like we bring out products that they ask for. So it's like, Hey, like drop a, drop a comment in here. Say, I want to see this. And like, you know, like we listen to it and we see that and we say, Hey, did you see like, what's like this person asked for that? That's a great idea. Like we want to do that. And so like, they're very involved in, in like R and D and product development for sure. And I mean, that's just from like the customer experience side or, or customer support that I see, but cool. Yeah. I, I think it's just strategy. Like how do you add value? So whether it's like responding to comments really quick, um, it's having people participate like in voting on posts, it's doing this or that on things that people are passionate about and they want to have a voice. Like it, it's a hundred percent just strategizing on like what, how can we add value? How can we get these people to engage? What do they care about? Um, and all that stems from caring about your customer. Cool. Like you, it's hard to fake. They can sense it for sure when you see them as just a dollar sign versus when you see them as an actual person that, that you want to get to know because you want to make their life better. Very noticeable for sure. So, and one thing we did too when we moved into this building is we had a we had a grand opening event, and so we had a bunch of people come through, and you know we had we got to meet with them all. We had a we did a fitness class. We had discounted products. Um, you know, we were giving out acai bowls and really getting to know those people. And so, and that's something that we want to do more too, is really get, get in touch with those people and, and yeah, and get to know them. And yeah, I think it's invaluable. Yeah. This has definitely been super helpful and very uh, informative for sure. 
the last thing I want to talk about is about the entrepreneur themselves. Like what are some skills or what are some things that they should do in the first year to make sure that they have the skill set necessary to be successful long-term? Uh, man, for me, that, I mean, that's a great question. I, I just feel like I'm, <laughs> to be honest, like I'm still, I'm still learning that every day. Like every, every day I come in here, like I'm, you know, I'm learning, I'm learning new things and, I'm just always surprised at how little I, I do know about it for sure. Yeah, I'm going to have to come back to that. <laughs> the, the, big, the biggest thing for me is like you just have to be able, you need to be able to work really damn hard. Like we talked about the outsourcing. Don't take the easy road. There's no such thing as shortcuts. There's no such thing as like quick money. You, you have to be willing to just work and and that was that was some that was a skill that I feel like my brother and, and I learned like early on, like with the landscape company. Like I, I remember summers like playing high school football and doing two a days and I'd go to the morning session and then my mom would be like, yeah, like meet your dad at this job during the break. So I'd go and do sprinklers and landscaping and then I would leave and go to that second session of two a days during the summers, like people would be getting together and doing night games. And it was like, no, I have to be up at 6am to go to sprinklers. Cause you have to get an early start before it gets too hot in the summertime. And that was like a really young age. Like if you could do something, you did it yourself. Like at the subway franchises, they never, my parents never paid to have the parking lot plowed. We, sh- we shoveled it, you know, like anything that you can do and get done yourself you do it until you can afford to pay for it. And, and you just have to be ready. Like that's, that's a piece of like you picking up that stick of like, I want to be an entrepreneur. The other end of that stick lifts up and it's like, this is what comes with it. So I, I think being prepared to just really work hard and it's not always physical. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's, it's um, intellectual and, and like you have to be willing to work hard in all aspects. Yeah, I think to that too. I mean, there's like a big misconception. You'll talk to people and they're like, oh, I want to like work for myself. I want to, you know, I want to set my own, I want to set my own hours, you know, and you're going to work wait like the nine to five. Like that's, that's not the reality of, of owning your own business. Like it's like Hayden said, you know, he's here on Saturdays, making sure the release goes well. You know, we're in here packing orders, making sure they're going out. Like it's, you're going to work way more. Like if you think like, Oh yeah, I'm going to start my own thing. So I don't have to put in as many hours or I don't have to work as hard or whatever. Like you're sadly mistaken. You're going to be the one that's doing the work. It's up to you. No one else is going to do it for you. And so I, I, I do see like a misconception there. It's like a lot of people are like, yeah, I want to be, you know, I want to be my own boss. I want to be an entrepreneur. But like Caden said, is like you lift that stick and like, well, okay, well, do you want to do these things? Like, do you want to work? you know, 60 hours a week, you want to go on Saturday, do you want to pick up that phone when an employee's calling you at night with problems? You know, do you want to switch out the lids on 11,000 jugs because they ripped off, you know? Um, yeah, so the list kind of goes on there. But but yeah, I think Hayden really kind of hit the nail on the head there of just saying like, do you want to work really damn hard? And uh, do you want to do more than than what you're doing right now? And if the answer is yes to that, then I think you're in a good spot. And I think you have a good mindset, but that's like what it's going to take is it's, it's going to be more. It's going to be like, okay, what is next? What is next? What is next? How can I be better? And I mean, that's the pursuit of it is, 
is just really <laughs> scratching at it every day, scratching, crawling. You know, you might only move an inch forward with all that effort, but I mean, that's like what it's about. And you're, you know, that's, that's part of the learning curve. And that's definitely the mindset that you have to have for sure, because especially the first year or two years when you start a business, your workload is going to be way more than you would ever have at a nine to five. So you just have to be. Yeah, well, and that. the money too. I mean, like Hayden said, is like, you know, we weren't taking and and still, you know, like we're invested in this, like we're putting everything we have back into this. Like, this is like what we believe in and like we're investing in the people here and we believe in them and we're trying to make, you know, giving them the tools for them to be successful. And, you know, we, we just bought, like I was, I was telling you before the podcast, a bunch of, you know, automated packaging um, equipment, which like is not cheap, you know? And so like, you have to be very invested, like not just from like a time perspective, but also like financially you're going to have to be. Mm -hmm. So the last question that I have just about this is that's a very good look into the mindset that an entrepreneur has to have to be able to be successful. What skill set do you think an entrepreneur needs to develop besides just like the hard work what about the actual like practical, like top level things that they need to be able to make sure that they're competent at so that they know where to study? I mean, yeah, I mean, for me, is this being, I, I don't know and if there is like an exact one of like, hey, you need to be, you know, really good with tech or whatever. I think it's just having that, that willingness to learn it and not being scared to, to do that and be that person that's going to learn it. I don't. Yeah, it's tough because it's not like you can say like, hey, finance or sourcing or logic, you know, like you you need to be like a problem solver. Yeah. And and like, I think kind of what we touched on, because I, so I studied accounting, we both studied accounting in our undergrads and, and I, I went on and got an MBA, but I mean, almost none of it is applicable to what I did in starting the business. Yeah. That's what's tough for me is like if you if your skill set is like I'm just I know how to figure things out and like get things done like that's going to serve you the best and being able to be resourceful like find find those solutions to the problems you're facing and you just go like I think that's more important than being like a having a digital marketing background right yeah. so but but like I mean I did everything in the beginning like I had to know e-commerce like i had to know like websites and how those worked i had to know sourcing and product and what made the product good and, and the ins and outs of that i had to know marketing and social and influencers and those things and i had to know accounting and, and finance and how um how 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 the balance sheet and the income statement had to work so like there's a list but you can do all of those things good enough for a really long time before you need like professional help cool. on all those things. Yeah. If you work hard and if you're a problem solver. Awesome. Again, I just want to say thank you for the take for taking the time to be able to talk with me today. Obviously the first part, just hearing your stories were great, but this has been very practical, very just down to the specifics, which is what I really like to do. So yeah, just again, wanted to say thank you for taking the time and I can't wait to see what you guys do in the future with Hydrojug because Obviously, mine is sweet. I can't wait to take it for a ride, but it's going to be awesome to see what you guys put out in the future too. Yeah, thanks a lot for having us. Great time. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Year One on Freedom to Fail. 
I hope you guys took a lot of notes because this week's episode was amazing. I think for me, a couple of my big takeaways are, number one, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Find what works, model somebody who's done it before successfully, and also along those lines, find a mentor who has already done it and learn from them and talk to them. Number two, when it comes to manufacturing a product, go and source from Alibaba or Pangeva or another site products that are similar to yours from manufacturers. They will be some of your best points of contact when it comes to seeing what is actually doable or not, as well as pricing the product so that you can get the right margins and actually understand if your product and idea is viable. So those are two of my big takeaways. I am super curious to hear what you guys took away from this week's episode. So feel free to message me on Instagram at Freedom to Fail Podcast or write me an email, Freedom to Fail Podcast at gmail.com. And going along with that, if you liked this week's episode or if you've liked any of my episodes in the past, I know I sound like a broken record, but I would really appreciate if you like this podcast and share it with somebody that you think would like it as well. So subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and send it to a friend that you think would really like it. Someone who's trying to start their own business or who has started one but could use a little bit more insight, or just somebody who likes good quality entertainment. Not from my end of things, but from my guests. They provide very good quality content, and I've learned a lot, and I know that everyone can as well. So now it's the end of the day on Friday, the time when most people stop working and just get to relaxing, which, don't get me wrong, there's a time and a place for that. But it is now your time to take advantage of the extra hours and do what other people won't do so that you can live like other people can't do. And until next week, keep failing your way towards achieving your dreams.